It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Back with us is Matt Hawkins. He's the founder and managing partner of Entourage Effect Capital. Entourage Effect Capital, or EEC, formerly known as Cresco Capital Partners, stands as a distinguished cannabis investment firm, embodying the concept that the collective synergy of components yields greater outcomes. Matt, thanks again for being back with us on The Talking Edge. Thanks for having me, Josh. Good to be here. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. You've been around for a while. What are some lessons that you've learned from previous investments? And then how have some of those experiences influenced your current approach to identifying potential investments? Uh, sure. Um, I would say the, the main thing is that most cannabis companies, I mean, it's probably a lesson for just about any industry, but cannabis seems to be um, a little bit more particular to this point. And that is that it's it, it, it always takes more money to to get these businesses propped up than than you would than you would think. And so I think the lessons we learned in fund one and fund two is that um, we, you know we probably needed to allocate more capital. Now in some cases, especially in fund one, we didn't have a whole lot of capital. So it was we were deploying what we could in each deals. And so but the deals that didn't survive were the ones that you know we couldn't continue to support you know, past the, uh, you know, the lack of their hitting targets in their business plan. And so that's number one. Number two is definitely, you know, no sense relying on anything happening regulatorily because it's just who the hell knows when that's going to happen. And I think, you know, even back in fund two, we were hopeful that some things could change. And then, you know, having a, Democratic president and a Democratic Congress unable to get anything over the goal line was was obviously incredibly disappointing. And, you know, so now I just I, I just especially with the, you know, partisanship the way it is in, in Washington right now, I, I just don't know. I really don't. When when you said that, uh, you know, um, it's going to take more than what you think. Um, back in the day, we used to laugh at, at pitch decks that thought that, you know, $7,000 a pound was going to be here for uh, time immemorial uh, and, and into the future indefinitely. And yet it's not the case. Even even valuations in uh, pot shops in Illinois, you're seeing people trying to liquidate and get out. Is there an example uh, at the retail level where people thought that New York was going to be all the rage and then now they're just trying to fire sell and get out? Well, uh, that's a good question. I, I, I honestly, I don't know who those people are other than, than the, the founders themselves, because there isn't, I mean, there's no smart capital that's deploying any money on any, any legal license in New York right now until this shit gets figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with the, the hiccups that have, that have been going on since, since the day this law was passed, it seems like, and now with this week with more news about how no, no more licenses. There's a moratorium again on trying to figure all this out. Uh, you know, I don't know how you get out. But again, I, I don't think it's any investor that's trying to get out. It's primarily the 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 founders and the licensees that have put in, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money, and they can't compete because of what's going on in the illicit market. I mean, it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences from a regular business? Uh, when you're investing in like the cannabis industry and versus investing in other industries, what are some of those key differences? 
Well, let's talk about the, I mean, I don't want to be negative Nancy here. So let's talk about the positives. And I think that the, the reality is, is that cannabis, the, the, the federal illegality, but then the legality at the state level creates a moat around license holders. And so for an investor, that's important because it, it, it's a, it's a blocking out of competition theoretically. So we look at limited license states where there are, you know, opportunities to now, you know, more later stage investing, but opportunities to grow businesses uh, to be the leaders within that state. And then if they want to go to, uh, you know, to advance to other states to the license we have there, then we're, you know, we'll ba based on their track record, we'll support them. When you look at the landscape and what it used to be, and some of the shifts that have happened since you first entered the the cannabis industry, what does that look like? A lot has changed. You, you mentioned some of your funds have changed because of the, the lack of um, development on the federal level. But overall, how has the financial industry from uh, the cannabis financial landscape evolved since you've been in? So we went from, you know, a mad rush. We, we were one of the early ones. So we were able to... to cherry pick basically on some really good deals in fund one. Then there was a mad rush probably halfway through our raise and fund two to where it became pretty competitive, but then now capital's gone. I mean, there really just is no more organized capital in the space. Even groups like us are, you know, we're trying to kind of figure out what our fourth investment vehicle looks like. And it's not, it's not going to be supported by, you know, the high net worth individuals and family offices, uh, you know, that have been propping this industry up since its inception. I mean, some of them will do it. And some of them, you know, for our investors who have been, who, who have made some money, they'll continue to do it, but it's, you're not talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here. So we have, we have a responsibility as a capital provider to this industry to, to find new ways to deploy capital, find new pockets of money. And it's, and I got to tell you, it's not easy. Um, and until we see some movement, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, it's going to continue to be that way. So it's going to be pretty stagnant. There, is there, are there any new trends in cannabis finance? We saw SPACs that were all the rage. Those have pretty much all flopped. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, it's going to have to be a, you know, something that is a, uh, uh, a sea change like to where there's like some type of institutional capital comes in and, and, and is able to invest at these, you know, low valuations and, 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 you know, prop up a group like ours to do that. Um, but again, that's, that's like finding a, you know, the, you know, needle in a haystack type analogy. Mm-hmm. All right, another two-part question. What's the best way for businesses to access capital? What's the best way for investors to exit? Because if you look at IPOs, um, Poseidon's ETF had to close within two years. Right. Because they're all moving in tandem with the news and not really independent of any fundamentals. Not that fundamentals matter, but they don't even move with, with technicals. Again, I mean, I, I wish I could be more positive, but it's but neither of those are prevalent right now. I mean, there are really short of just the MSOs transacting, um, but they don't want to part ways with their stock at these valuations. They want to hoard cash. So they're not buying. 
and groups like us, you know, we're, we're growth investors. We're not, uh, you know, we're not a, uh, an acquisition shop. So, uh, you know, it, the, the only ones that have the, the a tremendous amount of capital right now are the debt providers. And, and, and that's going to, and, and they're all, you know, they're going to be able to clip their coupons and, but there's going to be a point to where they're going to have to act because a lot of these loans are going to mature and there's no way to refinance them unless they're done by, you know, done internally through the existing uh, lender. So, I mean, we're, there's going to be some carnage. It's already happening. And it's just a matter of until fresh capital comes in, we're going to continue to see it. Well, that's a significant reinvestment risk. What do you think from a regulation or federal reform standpoint would make the most impact uh, outside of federal legalization? Would it be safe banking or just ability? I think it's personally just being able to uh, interact across state lines. What do you I, think? Is I will. Yeah, I, I respectfully disagree. And here's why. I think that's, uh, if we can get it rescheduled, that's that's the mm-hmm. holy grail. So mm-hmm. because if it gets to schedule three, then we've lost section 280E. Mm-hmm. And that's all that matters. If 280E goes away, these businesses are going to churn and burn and it's going to be that we're going to get back to the salad days a little bit. Um, but short of that, safe banking, yes, that that will help. It, it, it will reduce the cost of capital. But again, we've also got macro issues like rising interest rates are, are what they are. So we're not going to have you know, crazy cheap capital to, to, uh, to, to, to get access to, even if it is you know, traditional commercial sources. To your point about crossing state lines, yeah, I think that'll, at some point, that'll be a, a nice win. But this industry can be very successful without it. And quite frankly, that's going to be another hiccup. That's going to be another issue where you have the states that are going to pound their chest and say, no, you can't do this. We don't want to lose our tax revenue that's coming in here from these, you know, California only or Massachusetts only uh, uh, operations. And if you cross state lines, then you've got, you know, 30 some odd states that have competing interests. And that's going to be really hard to navigate. What about, uh, I mean, sticking on, on challenges for just a, a little bit, because I, sure. I think there's a lot to be learned as people, there's new equity licenses in Illinois, there's people coming on board on the East Coast, and having seen it, you know, with your your own loans that you've made, from what I've seen on the West Coast in the last 10 years, there's a lot to be learned, and yet some people aren't really looking into it. Um, if they are willing to look into it, what are some of the challenges that investors are facing now um, that maybe could be avoided? Well, it depends on what type of, you know, if you're, if you're lending, that's one thing. If you're investing in equity, that's it's separate. So we, we're kind of a more of a hybrid with a, lean, with a lean towards equity. So most of our debt instruments look like equity. They're convertible notes with, with, with warrants, things like that. The struggle that that we have is, um, well, a you know just capital is is you know it, it's it's I mean, we're we, we're about close to eighty percent deployed on our third fund, so you know we don't have a lot of fresh capital, and most of the capital we have left is is going to be reserved for follow on. So again, capital uh, lack of capital is the biggest issue. But the second thing is is that companies are more are apt to take debt 
instead of equity because the valuations in the industry are so low. And it's clearly driven by the capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the debt side, you're at a point now where companies are over levered. Um, you've got lenders on the cap stack that, that don't want to give up their senior secure position. So you got to find some real creative folks uh, to be able to get additional debt on, you know, that sits underneath the, uh, of the senior secured deck is most of the companies that have taken private lending capital, their balance sheets are all tied up from their existing lender or lenders. And so, I mean, it's a conundrum. There's no doubt about it. What are the current rate and terms? I would think that still would be advantageous to folks that were looking for some of those debt opportunities. Yeah. I mean, there's still, you know, some cases high teens with, with, you know, significant warrant protection. Um, but it just depends on how risky that lender wants to get, how and where in the cap stack they want to play. I mean, sure, maybe they can take out existing capital, but you're just kicking a can down the road. I mean, you're at some point, they're going to have to get refinanced. Um, you know, there's comp- lenders that are putting up interest reserves. And I mean, look, we've seen this, you know, we, we, we've read this book before. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is the stuff that happens when you're, you've got quasi recessionary times and it's just, it's not, it's not friendly right now uh, to find capital at all. So they can't find capital. They're going to have to look elsewhere, maybe through some synergistic forces of, of a co-op model merging, whatever. Um, Are you starting to see more of that with, with M and A's? Maybe you can kind of discuss the importance of strategic partnerships and collaborations and kind of driving growth and innovation. And maybe with some of that M and A, that the activity that you've seen. Well, again, to my point, I haven't seen much in M&A. Um, there are, There's been some cancellations. Of, There's been a lot of, of buyouts right. that have been canceled. Right. I mean, so, and that's that's because the, where the when they cut the deal, that was, you know, the pricing was, was you know, up up here and now it's down here and it doesn't make sense for either the the uh, the, the, the acquirer or the acquiree to, to participate in that. So that's tricky. Um, in terms of partnerships, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some there's some things going on in California right now to where larger operators are able to pull brands that are you know that are smaller but yet have some shelf space in places to you know outsource the manufacturing or outsource even the uh, uh, the packaging delivering. I mean, you know, having the whole herbal nightmare in California was a you know was a big deal and created, but it creates some opportunities for some of the bigger players. It's just, it, it's so unfortunate because it's exactly what California doesn't want. And that is the big boys to thrive and, and, and little folk to, to not, but because of the, you know, uh, because of the, the, the shackles that the state has put on the industry, that it's what's happening is exactly what they didn't want to have happen. It's just a lack of common sense in Sacramento. Are we going to see the same thing in New York? There's um, a lot going on with the market there. Uh, what implications do you foresee for both local and national investment trends, as well as the impacting on economy with New York and, and some of those markets? Yeah, I, I just, um, I am uh, very, very bearish on New York in general until they clean up their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you, they, they I, I did, I have seen some things where they're starting to, you know, enforce some the uh, in, you know, enforce the law and shut down some of these bodegas. 
But until that is almost eradicated, I don't know why you'd invest in New York because it's it's you're behind the eight ball, and they're and you're playing against cheaters, and you're playing against people that aren't playing by the rules, and it's it's impossible to compete. Do you foresee Europe gaining any traction? Um, any unique dynamics that investors might have or entrepreneurs considering entering spaces like Europe? Yeah, uh, you know, the German the Germany announcement, while positive on one hand, didn't go as far as we would have hoped. Uh, and, you know, Germany is the is the leader when it comes to, to you know, commercialization and especially that in, in cannabis. So I, it's just going to be a little bit longer and it's taking it's taking it's taking a long time. And so the, the, the European markets are mirroring you know, the stagnant opportunities that are here in the States. And it's, uh, it's frustrating. Loaded question. Is that taking a toll on Canada? The, there's a lot of companies that are not paying their taxes. They're considering it a 6% loan. Um, is the lack of federal movement in Europe creating uh, an issue with the Canadian marketplace? I think the Canadian marketplace just has issues on their own. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is, is that the big boys... You know, the big LPs were set up to be the outsourced provider of cannabis to the world. And it was the most ludicrous business plan that um, that somehow was financed by billions and billions of dollars at the beginning of this. And but the cost structure of Canada, it, it makes it impossible for that to happen. The market in cannabis just isn't big enough to support very many companies. So I don't think Europe has anything to do with it, quite frankly. I think the Canadian market just has its own set of issues that are similar to what individual states have. I mean, look, California is big, a bigger market than, than the entire country of Canada. Mm-hmm. So I, I, of all the things that I've said that I wouldn't touch, can't, uh, you know, Canadian opportunities are right up there in terms of what we avoid. Mm-hmm. Where are the opportunities in the cannabis industry right now? Are there any promising investment opportunities? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so look, like specific regions, though, like absolutely. that you believe. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're for Fund Three was focused primarily on the, you know, parts of the Northeast, but the Mid Atlantic, even in the Southeast, with some medical plays. Uh, we we you know we have a plot we have a great investment in Curio Wellness that was in Maryland that we invested prior to becoming. Uh, uh, adult use legal. And then they also moved into Illinois on top of that. So that's a, that's a big win for them and a big win for us. Ancillary plays are huge. Uh, we're a large investor in Hound Labs, which is the only commercially available uh, breathalyzer uh, in the THC breathalyzer in the market that measures THC in real time. Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a holy grail. So, so yeah, there's some, there's some incredible opportunities in some of the emerging uh, limited license states. Uh, there's going to be, uh, and we're not far away from it, you know, companies to be purchased and invested in on the cheap. So there's a distressed part of this, but we just need, we, we, we need to hit that bottom. And I just feels like we're, we're just scraping along it, but haven't quite made that turn just yet. Mm-hmm. I've seen some positive signs in California over the past two quarters, but then, you know, the summer doldrums kick in and, 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 and sales lag off a bit. So it's just a, it's a, it's a process. How do you envision the collaboration between the financial sector and the cannabis industry evolving in the future? I know you know you're not holding your breath on any financial regulations, but what is that going to look like? 
it, it all depends on uh, what allows new capital to enter. Hmm. And until some of these capital sources either take a chance and, and, and stick their toe in the water and do this and or uh, the regulation reform allows them to do that, uh, we're going to be slow moving. Uh, I went to ChatGPT, an AI-based uh, program, and I asked it some questions about, uh, you know, if what are your um, mottos or themes for for your company? And they gave me three that they thought, um, I'll spit these out. Investing in high growth, literally. We put the pot in potential, and we're here to get you high on success. Uh, in your view, Matt, what role does technology innovations play like AI or blockchain, decentralized finance? How do those play in shaping the future of cannabis finance? Boy, that's a tough question. I, you know, I think in that situation, cannabis is a microcosm of how those impact uh, finance in a, in a broad sense. I, I don't think that with cannabis, it's anything unique compared to what is happening with, with those, you know, uh, technological movements and in other industries. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a huge correlation between those and cannabis that, as opposed to those and just finance in general. All right. Uh, looking into your crystal ball, Matt, for the, your fund number four, that doesn't exist yet, or maybe it does in your head. I don't know. How do you envision the trajectory <laughs> of the cannabis investment landscape overall in the next couple of years? What role do you guys see playing in shaping the future of cannabis industry as it continues to evolve? Well, we're not going away. I mean, we, we, we're, we're built for the future. Um, you know, my two partners and I are committed to this. You know, we have our own capital in this. We continue to invest in the, in the growth of the firm and we're going to find some capital uh, and we're going to, and hopefully in a large way, and we're going to uh, use that capital to, um, uh, exploit the opportunities, but also, you know, give the, in the industry the, the, the injection it needs to, um, to keep going forward and it, and it's in dire need, but that's where, you know, that's where fortunes are made. That's where the opportunities lie. And, and we're, um, we're committed to that. We talked a lot about finance, cannabis in general, uh, anything that we left out that you want to touch on. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of negativity and I, you know, and I'm not a negative person, so that kind of drives me crazy. I, I will say that one thing that's been refreshing in the past couple of years is just the influx of talent that is that has come into the space. Um, it, it is night and day from when I started. So that that to me is a is a big deal because I mean, look, we like working with great people and and um some of the shysters that were involved in this space early on, I mean, they've kind of just seemed to have gone away and, uh, but, but, but the shysters that still exist are, are legacy companies that are in trouble. And so they'll be, they'll be going away as well. But the, 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 the ones that this new wave of, of, uh, of talent has really been a, um, refreshing to see. Yeah. A lot of those guys went to either uh, psychedelics or NFTs, I think. Yeah. Right. Next, next shiny object, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right, Matt, if people want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing or how to get involved uh, with the Entourage Effect Capital, where can they get a hold of you at? Where are you at? Sure. Uh, they can email me at mhawkins at eecpartners.com or you can go to our website, eecpartners.com. 
All right. Uh, that's Matt Hawkins. He's the founder, managing partner of Entourage Effect Capital. Matt, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.